Hello and welcome to Forgotten Films. Hello. Who's that? Who? Who? What doth mine ear perceive? I'm Andrew Belletti. No, you're not. Oh. You're silly. Okay, I'm Alex. And I'm Ben Hyten. Forgotten Films is the third season of what started out as the Anthology, where we are looking for mouldy peanuts and ten-pound notes down the sofa crack of history. Yep, we established that a couple episodes ago, and <laughs> we're still doing it. And uh, I believe we may have found uh, some new things for sure, but whether or not they're any good, we'll find out. Well, we are on to uh, 1984. Before we get into 1984, Alex, I think it's important to address a piece of correspondence that we've received. Well, that's one of the reasons why I said I was Andrew. I was just seeing if I could excite any of the fans that might have actually preferred Andrew instead of me on previous episodes. Uh, And, you know, maybe one day he might be my replacement. Who knows? It's not happening. Hopefully. Oh, Uh, okay. What? I sneezed. Oh, okay. Um, Gesundheit. Cheers. Our fan. Well, our... Formerly a fan. Now, now rival. Rob Marland. Yeah. wrote us an email about yeah. our pilot episode. He said, Forget the pleasantries. I'm here to write a grievous wrong done to the very honourable Andrew Belardi on this season's intro podcast. Andrew nominated The Rainmaker and was roundly dismissed. What an injustice. I don't even remember dismissing it. No, I that's did. A, that's how much... Uh, it's, it's directed at you. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I don't... Oh, oh I've got some words for Rob, don't worry. All you right, carry on. Right. You can say the word. I'll say the email and you say the words. Yes, it was part of the 90s run of John Grisham adaptations, but that only means it is all the more surprising that it has had no lasting impact, unlike The Pelican Brief and The Firm. And the cast is rammed with stars. I've watched it for more times than is healthy and for oh, far more times, not four more times, Five more times? Then it's healthy. And for the first five or six times, I was surprised when Danny Glover and Roy Scheider popped up. And when the credits begin to roll and I discover again that this is a Francis Ford Coppola film. My theory as to why it's so forgettable is that even though the story and acting are good, the music is total dog shit. Makes it sound like a cheapo TV movie. Which is insane because it's by Elmer Bernstein. In summary, free Andrew Belardi. Well, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Andrew's committed a lot of crimes. Also, while I'm talking rubbish, Avatar qualifies. It's not completely forgotten, but as you point out, its impact has been tiny. It's also one of those movies that people actually talk about as forgotten. It's remembered for being forgettable. So, an unusual choice, but maybe fodder for a different kind of conversation. To end, another few films to add to the list. Deep Blue Sea, My Hat is Like a Shark's Fin. Isn't it Hand? No, My Hat, my hat is Like a Shark's Fin. I, I always thought it was Hand all this time. It I doesn't make this, any sense. My Hand is Like a Shark's Fin. Well, hmm. it does, because if you're trying to mimic a shark's fin, you'd use a Hang hand, on a minute. Right? I'm not saying that My Hat is Like a Shark's Fin makes any exactly. more sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think Hand makes more sense, because if you use your hand you, as a shark's fin, right? I, I'm, I'm saying right now, Deep Blue Sea is disqualified. Yeah, well, that's fine. a cult film. That is a yeah, cult film. Uh, fair enough. I, I'm, it's no danger of it going on my list. Toys, R.I.P. Mork. Yeah, 
I'll I'll, I'll allow that. Yeah, me too. Because I went, oh, yeah, toys. And that's the the effect. But he saved saved the best for last, as Rob. Keeping the faith. Good fucking call, man. Ben Stiller and Ed Norton at their peak, but no one gave a toss. Agreed. 100%. Well, I don't know that it's Edward Norton at his peak, um, but it's certainly peak peak Ben Stiller being charming. Tar lads, Rob. Very nice email, Rob. Thank you. Uh, Um, What? No, sorry, not what, a very what? nice email. Oh, He's right. calling you, me out. You've got, you got some things to say. He's calling me out. This is street justice. F- fair enough, but I can still say, very nice email. If he was here, I'd be like patting him on the back, going, thanks a lot, man. We don't get enough mail. Really good to hear from you. You know, and, but oh, whoa, what's this? Ben's squaring up. Yeah. He's got his chest puffed out. Damn right I have. All right, I'm out of the way. Good luck, Rob. Yeah, no, I'm just going to say, uh, we're not going to be doing the Rainmaker. <laughs> Okay, explain. I I don't know because I've got no context. Tell it's me. he he's he sort of self owns himself here. Like he's saying it has had no lasting impact. Okay, yeah. but neither did me, wavelength. <laughs> t- tell me, tell me the lasting impact of the Pelican Brief and the Firm. They're just films that came out in the nineties. They were very successful. Rainmaker yeah. was slightly less successful. They're right. all of a sort. I don't think it is any more eligible than something like The Client or The Firm is. Yeah, right. I mean, he hasn't said anything there to convince me otherwise. I forgot about Pelican Brief. I think Pelican Brief's my favourite of the bunch, actually. Yeah. Well, really, you forgot about one of the films that's in your top 15 of all time. Is it? It's weird. According to you, it is, yeah. Before we leave Rob behind, on his point about Avatar, I mm. think it's probably not a film that we'll pick for 2009, but I, I might be interested in doing a bonus about it and looking at what has its cultural impact been in the run-up to the sequels coming out? Well, why don't we invite Rob on? Uh, okay. I, I, I'll I do one with Rob. You can just yeah, sit there and okay. groan. I'll just edit him out of it afterwards. <laughs> so it's just me. It's just you going, <laughs> good one. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. That's the plan. That's the plan. As I mentioned earlier... We are talking about 1984 this year. And as I mentioned when we did 1982, 1984 was a banner year, not just for genre films. Jesus, man. For the box office, it was the first year in history that more than two films crossed $100 million at the domestic box office. I want to go down this list of movies, by the way. Just counting down the top 10 box office movies, Splash, Star Trek Three, Romancing the Stone, Footloose, Police Academy, Karate Kid, Gremlins... Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Ghostbusters, and Beverly Hills Cop. Right. 1984 was so good, we got Gremlins and Ghostbusters on the same weekend. This is Spinal Tap, sorry. Once Upon a Time in America, Karate Kid, Bachelor Party, Conan the Destroyer, The Last Starfighter, uh, The NeverEnding Story, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, Purple Rain, Chud, Amadeus, The Terminator, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dune, 1984, and Starman. Yeah, you've also got Repo Man, Pete's Dragon, Breaking, right. Sixteen Candles. The list goes on right. and on. It's and ridiculous. Are, if you have a favourite film from the eighties, chances are it came out in nineteen eighty four. It's ridiculous. This is why we're doing this podcast. Well, nineteen eighty four is both a treasure trove and a really difficult year to pick films from because right. so many of them actually do have a lasting impact. Right. Um, something like The Terminator, for instance, which is still getting films made. Indiana Jones, which is still getting films made. Right. Ghostbusters, you know. Yeah. 
No, th- none, nothing on that list that I read out. I think is forgotten. Maybe Chad and and we we argued back and forth about whether the last Starfighter was. I, I think I still get references to it in in probably things like Big Bang Theory. Not that yeah. I watch it, but that kind of Family show would guy. reference. Yeah, right. I'm sure there's even references to it in hip hop for some reason. I don't know why I'm making that connection. Maybe it's yeah, Childish Gambino. Yeah, it's a film that I'm looking forward to going back and seeing again, but. It didn't quite make the cut this time. So what did you choose instead of The Last Starfighter? Well, interestingly, as usual, I seem to be discovering uh, that I'm finding it much more difficult to pick films, mostly because one of my motivations or unconscious motivations doing this was to watch movies I haven't seen before. So there's a lot of things that I see there. I'm like, "Eh, I really want to discover something new that I haven't seen before. So I'm reaching out to people to like give me give me their tips and stuff like that. And you gave me another one this week, Ben. The film I picked this week uh, is the exact kind of '80s sci-fi that I've I am looking for. Okay. Uh, in this in this, it's called the Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, you recommended it to me. I'd never heard of it. I'd never seen it. I didn't know it existed until last week. I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh, so am I. I one of my top notes was how have I not seen this film. Well, I'd like to talk about Philadelphia Experiment second because Me too. I think we can go into spoilers for that. Uh, the film I picked was Top Secret, the yeah. Zucker's Abraham Zucker movie um, from 1984, obviously. Val Kilmer's first film. And the reason that I picked this, I think it does have a slightly culty following, but of. That doesn't of surprise me. Yeah. Zucker, Abram, Zucker are. Referred to as Zaz. So I'm just going to refer to them as Zaz from now on. Right, but they're okay. the writers, directors of these spoof cool, movies. fine. They did uh, Airplane before this, and they did Naked Gun and the Hot Shots movies after it. And right, this right. is, from their oeuvre, the forgotten one, I think. And Agreed. I agreed. I not as it. good, I don't think, yeah. as Airplane or Naked Gun, but I think it's better than the, shot, the Hot Shots movies. Hmm. I find it really difficult to either agree or disagree with you on that because so i've seen it obviously and you hadn't seen this before either no i hadn't seen this before either. see i thought i thought yeah. maybe you had and no. you couldn't you genuinely couldn't remember the title Possibly. and when you started watching it you go oh shit this one i think i might have yeah. but it's so forgotten it's okay. as though i haven't okay does that does that make sense like yeah i think one of the reasons why i might have actually seen it is because all these Memories came back of people quoting it. Yes. One of the ones was, I know a little German. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. And all the, 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 the one, the one first... in our house, yeah, the one in our on. house was just, what funny dog poo. And yeah. my entire family, uh, when I was still the youngest, quoted that all the time. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. And sometime in the late 80s, I saw this movie. Yeah. And I had a light bulb moment of, Oh, that's really funny. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the little German gag is somebody says, I, I, know, a little I German. know a little German, and then a very small German guy pops up. That is exactly the level of humour that you'll find in this film. Very rarely does it rise above that. No, it very doesn't. rarely. No, it goes below it most yeah. of the time. And yeah. and it is it is airplane. It is it is Naked Gun. It's that kind of thing and hot shots. Um, I'd argue that Naked Gun is more sophisticated than this. It's a well, airplane as well. It's a smarter, silly film. This yeah. is a dumb, silly film. Oh my god, so silly! 
It is as though eight-year-olds made it. It's brilliant. And it's brilliant (laughs) on... Eight-year-olds were given a massive budget. Yeah. And wrote a script. That's it. Massive budget, total control over everyone art department, and they just literally did everything that they said and put some production value into it, actually. You know when you eat a pizza and you pick it up and the cheese (laughs) is really stringy? What if, like, you walked out of the restaurant and the cheesy, stringy cheese just followed you? That's it. Okay. It's perfect. It's in. Let's do it. it. Imagine if you were wearing a cow suit and all the other cows thought that you looked just like a real cow and you could walk around like you were a real cow, but you still had your boots on. Yeah, when I work for a field, I wear Wellington boots. Would the cow wear Wellington boots if I was in the the cow suit? (laughs) Why are we doing that voice? I might do it for the whole episode now. I I like this kid. (laughs) Scared me half to death. (laughs) Yeah, no, so it's, it's silly. And the very first note I wrote within the first 10, 10 15 seconds was, I wish I was watching this with you, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's one of those films that you really shouldn't watch alone. Unless you do like watching comedy or stand-up or whatever on your own and you, you get enjoyment out of that, you might watch this film on your own. Please, 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 if you want to watch this, watch it with other silly people who like silly shit. Because you'll laugh. You will Especially laugh. Especially if yeah. you've got kids. If you've got an eight- and nine-year-old kid... Uh, this is a little bit risque in places but i don't think so that's interesting though because um well two questions like a did you laugh and b how did it compare to the experience of watching dead men don't wear plaid on your own because that's another silly film but it it, it's a completely different kind of silly to this agreed completely different and i'm glad you asked that question it pains me to say i barely laughed at all but I had this sensation of I would be laughing if I know I would be. I was finding it so silly, not not stupid. It didn't annoy me. It didn't go like, God, Jesus, this is fucking stupid. And I imagine there are people who would watch this film and go, "What? Why am I watching this? What's, what's yeah. happening?" Um, I had maybe three laughs that okay. were that were giggles. No laugh out louds. Dead man don't wear plaid. Oh, I loved it. Let, go back, listen to that episode if you haven't already. I just, I love that film. I, I've been saying to almost everyone, if you like Steve Martin, this is him at his best in movies. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Steve Martin movies. But having watched this, I've already got planned to watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I've got planned to yeah. watch A Man with Two Brains. These are recommendations Ben made as well on that on that podcast. So what, you don't think you'll be going, hey, if you like Val Kilmer, you know, you should really check out Top Secret. Yeah, uh, that's a fair question to ask. The answer is no. There is nothing about this film that you should think if you like Val Kilmer, you should watch this movie. The only I reason think that's is, a bit unfair. Well, no, the only reason I'll say it is I'm thinking Val Kilmer as a performer. Fine, it's what got him a start, but he is a pretty boy in this. That's it. And I think he does well. You know, he's acting in a silly comedy movie. I don't th- I think he do- doesn't embarrass himself in you don't, any way. You don't think this is a star-making performance? Absolutely not, no. I, I kind of do, I'll be really? honest. Yeah, I mean, for his ah. first film, he does everything that is expected of him. He's very game. He really sings. He really dances. He's really funny as well. I don't disagree, but I, I mean, I, I could see if they remade this now, I could see Channing Tatum doing it. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned Channing Tatum because I thought of him when I was watching Michael Parry in the Philadelphia Experiment, actually. That's interesting. But they're they're comparable because I think he's got a classic matinee idol kind of 
look and that's what they need you know he's supposed yeah. to be an elvis type he it's works. interesting that it works all of our i don't want to cruise verse forgotten films right but right. all of our films are starting are you to converge sure? already because are you sure <laughs> val kilmer obviously is doing some elvis licks in this he even sings yeah. are you lonesome at one point yeah and uh he did actually go on to play elvis in true romance which right. was directed by tony scott uh, hunger uh, um, well, there's more cruise of us coming your way. For we're sure. not cruise of us, Nick. We're not cruise. Oh, oh right, sorry. Forgotten verse. The, the forgotten verse. Yeah. Forgotten verse. I think he's really great, but I, what I will say is he can't carry the film on his own. I think no. Um, but no, it, this film doesn't need that. No, he's, but he's for a straight me, man. Most of the time, he's a straight man. What I mean by that is the film is is kind of a film of two halves. There's the the sort of classic, not classic, but it's a spy. It's a it's a World War Two spy parody in the first half, and then in the second half, the resistance turn up. And when the resistance turn up, I think it lifts off. I think that whole group of characters are brilliant. I love them. They 100%. just make me smile so much. I just started giggling because of that. Because like all their names, I love yeah. De quoi? La Trine. They're all French names. They're French words that get used regularly in English, except for when you get to chocolate mousse or whatever. Like, <laughs> that gets used. Yeah, maybe. Déjà vu. Déjà vu. Latrine is one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Croissant. Croissant. Yeah, just French words that people know, and that all their names are that. And the same thing happens when a priest is like reading Val Kilmer his last rites on the way yeah. to being <laughs> being electrocuted. It's just all the Latin words that are commonly used as well. Until he eventually. Goes into pig Latin. Yeah, right. Ooh, yay, ah, yay, about, yeah. yay, yeah. <laughs> to get fried. Yeah, and then he ends up getting put in the electric chair. It's, it, that's that ridiculousness. <laughs> so it is so stupid. It's like, and that's the, that's the point. So, so this, is, this is the kind of film that would make you angry or just like, don't, don't watch it. It's not trying to be anything other than what it is. It's a silly, silly movie and it does it well. And it's it's an American version of Monty Python, I would say. And that's there's a surrealism to this that is very American. Uh, yes, I, I I see what you mean. Monty Python is more surreal and more sophisticated, but this is the glossy American equivalent, I suppose, rather than yeah. anything else. It's not necessarily analogous to Monty Python. Yeah. It's the American answer to a certain breed of humour. Right. It, it is a very subjective thing about whether you can get on board with a, a, a broad spoof like this. Mm. Uh, I think if you like Airplane, there's plenty in Top Secret for you to enjoy. It doesn't have the structural integrity of something like Airplane. It, it doesn't have the hit rate as well. I mean, they are throwing all the gags at you all the time, but not quite as fast and not quite as with much success. Yeah, the timing is lucky. There's no timing with the gags. When they do hit, though, I think, you know, I said to you in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, the taxi cag. Mm. The taxi cab gag mm. is one of my favorite of all time. Like, right, it's just yeah. such a lean gag. There's a couple in this that they're just beautiful writing. It like yeah. when um, <laughs> Val Kilmer's handler yeah. has been um, like electrocuted by his anal intruder. They say to Val Kilmer, "For your sake, you better hope he survives because he's the only person who knows, you know, why you're here or whatever." Yeah. And the phone rings. It's the hospital, and he says. Okay, let me know if there's any change in his condition. And he puts the phone down and just says, 
he's dead. Now that's yeah. there's no fat on that. That's a great gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think what this film does even better than that um, several times is it has a couple of really technical sequences that are really ambitious. The backwards sequence in the Swedish bookstore is is really elegantly I love that. done. With Peter Cushing, man. Yeah, Peter yeah. Cushing in one of his last roles, <laughs> and um, the underwater barroom brawl is phenomenal. Yeah, as well. Yeah. At the end. But I think when this film is at its best, I think you can see a kind of not quite surreal, just ridiculousness and visual humor that you can see in classic Simpsons. And I'm thinking of the fireplace gag. That's something that you would see in Golden Era Simpsons. Right. Where they're, he's just sung Lonesome Tonight. They start smooching. The camera drifts away to the fireplace and then they roll back into the shot. So the camera moves away again and there's another fireplace. It happens again when they're on the parachutes. <laughs> they start kissing on the parachutes and the camera turns to the right and there's a fireplace on a parachute. Just want to do a quick rundown of the cast. It's, for me, I don't know all of them, like, but they're just a lot of people that, or several at least, that I'm like, oh, that guy, oh, that person. Michael Goff, Alfred. So we've got a Batman and an Alfred. Right, who's, oh yeah, we've got a Batman and Alfred. That's amazing. Was Michael Goff Val Kilmer's Alfred? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Jim Carter. He is great. Deja vu, yeah. Yeah. Jim Carter these days is, is best known for Downton Abbey now, but ah, he's been around right. forever. Yeah. yeah, he's great. Omar Sharif. Amazing. I kind of feel bad for Omar Sharif because you can sort of see on his face, like, this is how far I've fallen. Yeah. 20 years ago, I was in Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Now I'm in and a crushed car doing, doing a yeah. booby gag. Yeah. It is. It's full of booby gags. This film is full of German gags too. It's when it was still cool, I guess, or okay to make fun of the Germans, but... And the French. And oh, the, the French, for sure. Actually, the Americans get made fun of as well. So yeah. everyone gets it. They're just stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, exactly. Ian McNeese, is that how you say his name? Yeah. The uh, blind souvenir seller. Just yeah. I've seen him in stuff, I don't remember. You've also got Warren Clark in there, who was in D.L. and Pascoe and Clockwork Orange. Right. So they've got... They've they've gone for the the, sort of the classic British actor playbook uh, in a lot of places because you need them to play absolutely straight for this to work in most cases. Uh, Lucy Gutteridge deserves a good mention. I haven't seen her in anything before. Never saw her in anything again. Right, and but she, I think she plays every one of her gags just just right. I really didn't know what I was getting into. So the first opening sequences, you're like, this is a silly spy movie. Okay. As soon as it switches from Germany back to America, and you have the this Nick Rivers, that's Val Kilmer's character's Nick Rivers song, Skeet Surfing. Yeah, which is very Beach Boys. Yeah. It's California Girls. It's all of that. Yeah. And you see everyone dancing around and, and them, they're mocking that. That's mocking Americana. And that's the thing is that even though I don't think I've seen this film, I'm sure I've seen clips from that opening sequence. I'm sure there's the woman who's got her... She's lying down on the sand and she sits up. And when she sits up, there are these indentations or impressions from where her boobs were on the sand. It's like, that's a classic image that's been memed. I, th- I think that has been Simpsoned, actually. Yeah. I'm sure that I, is I in... Yeah. But you see, we said like, re- Simpsons references are one of the things that might disqualify a film as being forgotten. But I, I, yeah. I, I, of course, I have to accept, at least personally, that you're saying that the Zaz group... They made these other movies that I know really well, that I watched when I was a kid, that I loved. And I think I mi- I just missed this film. 
and, and that's that's the whole point is I think a lot of people will have and I think a lot of people who have a fondness the first Hot Shots movie is not good no. the second one has some great gags in it it's yeah. also not that good and I think if you like those films and there's certainly a, a large group of people who have a lot of fondness for those films because of when they came out and got you know replayed on VHS or TV or whatever I think if you haven't seen Top Secret, there's there's lots of stuff in it that you will appreciate. Yeah. Unfortunately, it also suffers from what I will call Shrek syndrome, in that it makes contemporary pop culture references that no longer land. Yeah. Like we have no idea who they're referring to. Right. So th- that's one of my notes. I wrote down. I, I I don't even want to have a go at saying what the plot of this is like. No point. No. Okay. So one of the one of the guys, somebody gets shot, and just before they die, in a kind of spy esque way, they pull oh. out something from their <laughs> and from an envelope and quickly burn it, and it says on it, "Publishers Clearing Clearing House." Yeah. I've got no. I don't know. What is it? So those are the um, the letters saying you might have won a million dollars, or you know, it's that stuff. And it, I think at this time it was just notorious. They were the company that was notorious for sending you junk mail, right? So, but the uh, gag there is so like I don't want someone else piece to win. Yeah, but yeah. also like I might have won a million dollars. I don't want anyone else to get it. Yeah, right? okay. That's he, he's fallen gag. for the Nigerian right. prince scam, basically. That's the gag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's actually one of the more sophisticated jokes. <laughs> this is not Mel Torme. When he was doing Tutti Frutti, yeah. and he stands up on stage in front of a bunch of stuffy German military people and diplomats and politicians or whatever, who all kind of really like rock music. And it's like, they all like, they all, a lot of them, right? And secretly. So, yeah. Secretly. Yeah. And they're all sort of bopping away in their chairs. And, well, it's not that secret. They're all applauding at the end. Yeah, no, but the idea is that he's Johnny B. Gooding them. Like, yeah. they don't know what rock music is. Right, yeah. that's what I should have written down. I should have written down Johnny B. Good. But instead I wrote down Miley Cyrus. Back then, or the time that they're referencing, because it's not... What time is it set? It is set in the 80s. No, it's set in World War Two. <laughs> in World War Two, really? Yeah. Well, after World War Two, I think, isn't it? In the, no, like... it's World War Two, man. It's the French Resistance. Is it? God, yeah. that's so. I just didn't get the impression that it was a war. <laughs> I just didn't get that because of the East and West Germany thing. I don't know. Uh, fair point, actually. I always just assumed it was a war movie. I thought it was Cold War. No. Uh, I, okay. I don't think they. It cared. doesn't really matter because no. it's pulling from all over the place. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter, and it felt contemporary. It's again, it's pulling out all these stereotypes, and it's anachronistic. As well, a lot of the things they're out of their time. Each, each element. I just wrote Miley Cyrus because it's a weird note to think like because what I was thinking of is the shock of like how racy uh, somebody dancing around like Elvis, like wiggling their butt. There's something about that kind of the the decorum has been broken. That must have shocked people. It must have got people like, oh my God, this person's, but also interested people. And there's this really protracted sequence where he's making a bunch of, of, of women or young girls um, fainting. I love it. I in love a, it. And it's like, they really go to town on it. And the weird thing is that there's a couple of guys in the audience just sitting there going, hmm, what's happening? Yeah. It, it's funny, but also it went on for so long. It, it, it does go on. And, and yeah, I think that's where an airplane would go we've got a 10 second gag here let's do it real quick whereas this is like 
let's just do it over three minutes. Yeah. Let's really draw it out. Yeah. The the bit that I really like there is when he is talking about how forlorn he is, and he starts yeah. committing suicide basically yeah. in various ways on stage. Yeah. I, I I'm into it. I like it. That was it. It was weird to think about Miley Cyrus in the middle of this movie. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what to say to that. There isn't much really more to say. It's all about the gags. And as, as we said before, we don't want to spoil all the gags for you. But I think part of the reason that it's not as successful as the other Zaz movies is it does struggle a little bit with juggling the types of humor that it's doing there are these very technical sequences that we've talked about then there are just there's just ridiculous silly wordplay or even just poo and boob jokes but then there's stuff that you don't really quite know how to respond to and like the sequence on the train at the beginning Mm. makes you think that you're in for a different kind of surreal comedy, right, I think. Right, I With agree. the station pulling away from the train, yeah. the guy jumping on the, the platform, yeah. but then also the guy chasing after the speeding tree. Yeah, right? that's like, weird. Oh, and also Val Kilmer's painting, and he's painting the blurred yeah, yeah. trees as he sees them. Yeah. So there's kind of like three versions of the same gag there. Mm. And it doesn't really stick to that kind of humour for the rest of the film. It dips back into it. And it also doesn't even bother to try and have an ending it no. just stops yeah which i kind of liked <laughs> i kind of liked it in this kind of movie i'm like they haven't bothered trying to do much about anything else except for just silly gags so that is something that um like monty python especially the holy grail was yeah. criticized for is that they couldn't find a way to end the film mm. so they just draw attention to the fact that it's a film mm. They don't quite do that here, but it doesn't. It feels like it needs a bigger ending than just which the Wizard they, of Oz they, they send set off. it up. There's a blatant looking at the camera, like what is this a movie? And yeah, they just yeah. look at the camera. So they they could have done that within this. They could do anything in this. I, I agree. It needed an ending, but also didn't matter that it didn't have one. No, and I think ultimately the reason it doesn't matter is because, like, I think I can't remember what film we were talking about in a previous season. I was saying like narrative can be the death of comedy and i think a lot of modern comedies try too hard to have a classic structure right when if you're doing silly and you're doing comedy well yeah the audience doesn't need that really. anchorman falls yeah. apart in its third act right okay. because it tries to wrap up a story yeah. a story that we don't care about we care about these characters and um, am i laughing yeah and i think this film gets away with it because you understand the structure of this film is all over the place all we're going to do is try everything we can to make you laugh so it is forgivable that you wrap up the story that went nowhere with no ending yeah it's a completely fair point the kind of gag i wish i'd seen more of are the ones that you say are simpsons gags i maybe i didn't notice them enough and had i put that lens on it i would have enjoyed it more but one of the things that made me laugh the most was such a small little simple gag and it usually is those ones like there's two that i can name it's when um, his handler, again, who I can't find the name of him, he's apologizing for something Val Kilmer says to to an officer in German, like he insults him or something, and watch what you say or your attitude has been noted or something like that. And his handler just goes, oh, no, please. He, he's just tired from the trip. He wouldn't normally... Yeah. He just trails off. Like, it's brilliant. It's like he's forgotten his line, he's fluffed his line, but he stays in character. And they just leave it in. I'm not sure how much of this was people improvising. Oh, I'd say almost nothing. Yeah. 
And those kinds of little improvisations, I think, really lend themselves. I don't think to that's this. improvisation. I think that's just really good performance. He's trying to act flustered because he's got a gun to his head, and I just, so he just buries the line. Maybe, maybe. I don't. I don't think uh, he forgot his line. I think he's just. It looked like a fluff line to me that they left in because it was funny. It's it's difficult to anyway. That made me laugh. And weirdly, he's fighting with the blue lagoon guy. Yeah, they're fighting, and he's trying to push Val Kilmer out of the um, uh, truck. And he's like Val Kilmer's hanging off the edge of a truck, trying to get him out. And he's driving. He just starts changing the radio stations. <laughs> like yeah. instead of punching him or doing, he just changes the radio station. Like because that's such an annoying thing to do. And I laughed at that. The thing with this handler is like that's a little bit of character comedy, and there's not a lot of character comedy in the film. Right. And I think that's why I like the Resistance guys because yeah, they are characters. Yeah. Deja vu and Chocolat Moose, like. Anything they do, I just find funny because it's so irreverent at that point. It just chocolate mousse, like when he throws the um, grappling hook up the wall and just pulls it tight and goes, lovely. Yeah. For some reason, I find that really funny. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, I liked Matt Man. <laughs> I like that. Sure. When yeah, chocolate yeah. mousse shoots everyone. I, I like yeah. that. It did. There were loads of things that made me realize like, okay, this film has influenced people. So I I would say that it's wrong for us to say it has had no lasting influence. I think it definitely has. Um but it's clearly a forgotten film, for sure. Whether it's a whether it's a gem, uh, I don't know, man. The thing that most disqualifies this film is on the pilot. We haven't really talked about it much since then, but um we talked about if something has had memes created from it and there are unquestionably all kinds of memes right. and gifts yeah. that you could find from this. And that's why that's what the sense is that I think I've seen this film. If you could give it a rating, what would you rate it? Yeah, it's a three, but not a bad three. It's a three and a half for me. It's it's not a comedy classic, but it's a hell of a lot better than most comedies. Yeah, but you got that. I think it gets the extra point five for nostalgia for you, like that extra value of like it's a film that's dearer to you than it is to me. And it was also it was um it was kind of like an inside thing of like yeah. we we the people who'd seen it who made reference to it and got the jokes right. everyone else was on the outside and this actually happened very recently when I saw the favorite yeah. the, the um, Olivia Colman Rachel Vice movie right there's a dance sequence in that that is so preposterous it's one of the funniest things I saw in a cinema this year deliberately yeah. And when we came out, we all really liked the film. And I said to this guy, like, that dance sequence kind of reminded me of the one in Top Secret. Mm. And I didn't know this guy very well. I was yeah. watching a bunch of diner, films with him. In the pizza house. No, no. When he first meets Lucy Gutteridge. And oh, they right. have the, the really elaborate, uh, silly Oh, dance. I like that, actually. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, so I referenced it to this guy that I was watching The Favourite with. Mm. And he high-fived me immediately. Not just because, right. yes, that's a perfect parallel to the dance sequence in The Favourite, but yes, you've seen and you know Top Secret. I think that that qualifies <laughs> it. But I think that that story really speaks to like how hard it is for us to define what we think a forgotten film is. And for some reason, I can't put my finger on it. I think that qualifies it even more. So Ben, is it a recommendation? It's absolutely a recommendation on the proviso that you like this kind of humour. Right. If you if you want a, you know, a Woody Allen kind of comedy, this ain't it. But if you like silly visual gags and wordplay, yeah, there's plenty in this for you. There's plenty of gags that you we will go, that didn't land as well. And I'll allow that. Yeah, and I'll just add watch it with people, it will be funnier if you're watching it with people. Definitely. Now Yes. Before we move on to the Philadelphia experiment. Yes. 
You have been uh, slightly vexed, I would say, in recent weeks that we don't have regular features. I love my features. I love my features. So when we watched The Hunger a couple of weeks ago, you said, hey, there's a scene that we didn't talk about where this guy comes back to Catherine Deneuve's place. (laughs) And um, Uh, I I just thought how great it would be if that guy was Bill Paxton. It would be amazing. So I'm proposing to you a very brief feature at the end of every film that we discuss called The Paxton Factor. Absolutely. Paxton Faxton. Let's do it. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. The very simple rules of The Paxton Factor are, is there a part that would be improved if Bill Paxton had played it? Every part. <laughs> There's one in particular in Top Secret for me. You've got one. Decois, the 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 sort of... Not the leader of the resistance, but the guy who always shouts, Latrine! When yeah, Latrine comes if in. that was Paxson. Yeah, I think Bill Paxson would nail that. Okay. I think he could have easily played any one of the German generals. Okay. What about Nick Rivers? Oh, he'd be great. With a quiff and, yeah. Oh my God, he'd be great. But yeah. it would be, the tone would be completely different. Well, the tone is the tone, I guess. But the the big question is, would the film be improved by replacing any of those people with Bill Paxton. I don't know what people think of Al Kermer, but I think he's genuinely a heartthrob. Well, he was, yeah. Yeah. And no offence to Bill Paxton or any of his family, but I think it would have been a funny gag to cast him in that role. That would have been a gag. Yeah, yeah. He would have been more rock and roll. Because he's more like a Johnny Cash kind of rock and roll rather than a, a Beach Boys rock and roll. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, Paxton Factor. Game over, man. It's game over. For my pick this week, I picked The Philadelphia Experiment. I said that earlier. This is this is one of those 80s sci-fi movies that is trying to, I think at this stage, compete with the likes of Star Wars and things like that. Now, at this point... Whoa, 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 whoa. It's trying to compete. That doesn't mean that it does it successfully. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Com- uh, yeah, compete on what level, though? This Just- is so not Star Like I agree. I agree. I said it's trying to compete because Star Wars set a precedent that was unprecedented. No one had ever seen anything like it before. And so yeah. any sci-fi then, that's it, there's a bar now for any sci-fi. Whether it succeeds, whether it does it or not, that's, those are all questions. Yeah. No, so, I'm not talking about quality though, but Star Wars is space opera. Yeah. This is, this is just a straightforward B-movie, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's I, I don't think that's fair. And the reason I don't think it's fair is because it's on the cusp of that B-movies are B-movies. They don't necessarily... Part of the one things that make them B-movies is they try and take themselves too seriously and they don't have to and then they kind of... They can't be taken seriously. There's that balancing act of like... Mm-hmm. That makes something a B-movie. But this is going for high... Con- it's high concept sci-fi. It's high concept. I'll give you that. But whether it delivers or not is that that's what the final analysis reveals is whether or not it gets put into a B movie or not, right? I, I'm not. My yeah. ob- objection to the comparison to Star Wars is not based on quality at all. Good. It's, pu- it's purely a genre thing. And I think they're oh, not fine. in the same genre at and, all. Well, sci fi. But that's what, what I'm trying to say is that. Close encounters, maybe. Right. Okay. Fine. Fine. All, all I meant was. Star Wars set a, bar, a high bar for effects and sci-fi. Yeah, that—that's what I meant. And oh, well, this can't compete at that right. level. Yeah, but it, but and I would argue that people would be trying to compete with that, 
And this film does take itself seriously, and I don't think it fails. The reason that I say it's a straightforward B-movie is I think if you approach it with that in mind, it's very successful. Right. I think, going back to what we said about Wavelength, these two films are not so different. Agreed. But this, that's, what I, that's what I wrote, yeah. This is the film that Wavelength wishes it was, really. Um, yeah. Although <laughs> it's not without its flaws... If you shot this film in black and white yeah. and put some corny music over the top, Fine. you have a 50s science fiction movie. Agreed. Agreed. And that, But my hesitation in saying it's not a B-movie is that, not agreeing fully that it's a B-movie, is because like, there's a way of doing this film that makes it not a B-movie at all. So in concept, it's reaching for something that I don't, I don't know how much of it came before. I mean, it was happening before. Like, It's not a 2001, but there's elements of that in it. No, right? it's not Arrival. Arrival is the film that... Right. That's the AAA version of this, right? Agreed. So it's it's got this kind of... It's Again, it's on that edge of like... Yeah, it's much more B-movie than it is anything else. I don't think there's any... I think you need... If you leave judgment out of what a B-movie is, I think you can have B-movies that are five stars. Absolutely. It's just you are approaching it from a different mindset of... I'm going to be more forgiving with this because it doesn't have the budget, it doesn't right. have the skill set behind it to achieve what it's reaching for. Right. It's, its reach exceeds its grasp. But the intent and actually some of the, the ways that it approaches what it's going for is very admirable. And that's the flavor of 80 sci-fi that I'm looking for because that's, yeah. that's what I grew up on. Oh man, is... I've got a great one for you right. in a few weeks' time. Right, man. good, because... That's one of my major motivations for getting into this. And horror, too. Like, I'm not against it, even though it's a genre I don't... I like those films. We've, we've said it a whole time discussing films. is like, I will give a film more points because of the concepts that it tries to deal with if it deals with the concepts well. Yeah. And I kind of start forgetting about acting and plot. But the acting and plot have to be good enough that I'm not actually taken away from the movie that I, I can suspend my disbelief enough to actually engage with the material that they're trying to present to me. So there's before we get into the film proper, there's, there's a disclaimer that I want to give about this. I'm really, really glad that the film doesn't start or end with a based on a true story title, because there is an apocryphal tale of a Philadelphia experiment, which inspired this film. Fine. It is absolute bullshit. There's really? never been any corroborating data really? about it. Yeah, it was a it was a story that came about in the fifties. A, a UFO nut printed this story that he had inside information. So, right, fine. That, I just wanted to put that out of the way so we could forget about that. And yeah, say it was I, used I wasn't. A, I wasn't going to go off. for it. I know no, it's fine. I don't care. But some people might be listening, going, "Why didn't you address the true story?" Yeah. Because there is no true story. Well, yeah, and well, we can address it if you believe that it's true. Good for you. A million websites out there for you that will do that. <laughs> yeah. So, and but uh, it's not. It's okay. Like it, Jesus, it would be amazing if there's any corroborating evidence. Because so the premise of this film is there's a military experiment done in the 40s or during the Second World War, yeah. and oh, so we've got two Second World War movies. Amazing. Kind of. The experiment is one to make a ship invisible to radar, completely invisible to radar. And what they end up doing is making the ship completely invisible and they don't know where it's gone. And there are two crewmen who are on that ship at the time of the experiment 
and it ends up falling into a wormhole. Now, that all happens within about the first 11 minutes, or a hole in time, or whatever it doesn't, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they end up in 1984. Yeah, they end up in the middle of the desert. Yeah, the year of the movie. And so, uh, not hilarity ensues at all. Like, there's nothing, <laughs> there isn't that much humor in this. Um, but again, there's something about the way that it's handled tonally. I don't, I think this film was reaching. I don't think it exceeded its reach. Yeah, in certain aspects, I, I think obviously because we've already talked about effects, mm. the the effects sequences mm. are a mixed bag. They are. Some of them are not fine. As, not as bad as the time machine. <laughs> no, but not a million miles off in places. I know, either. and that's why I'm making the comparison. I, I have to say though, in a lot of other places, the production value is very good. Yeah. Um, getting access to those ships when the navy did not support this film, they they look great. The time yeah. period stuff, uh, you know, in the forties, the the, yeah. the period detail is really good and there's a couple of storm sequences actually that i think are pretty impressive yeah but some of the fading in and out of time place whatever you want to call yeah, it not great it, that's very 1950s yeah the effect hasn't changed much and it's an it's an overused effect at this point you look at it and you you'd be right in thinking it lacks some creativity it's like how can we make this look like some weird stuff's happening yeah it's difficult i I can't imagine this was a big budget movie and so they had to work within their means and that's why i say you have to kind of forgive those bits because you have to be with where the film is going as a story it's like okay i'll forgive these effect sequences as long as you take me somewhere interesting right and i think the film does good i'm so relieved because i really think it does and but again i i'm naming it because i i want to be honest about my own biases you know, you've got these two naval officers who have been transported to 1984. I was really relieved to see them not make it like this weird... They didn't make like these extra things. They weren't like still connected to their past or... I mean, they were. That was that. That's part of the, the anomaly that's happened is that uh, one of the officers, you can see, he keeps glowing with that effect and he, he, he's making like electricity spark off things and he's causing stuff to blow up so they actually draw unnecessary attention to themselves whereas if they weren't those effects it would have the jeopardy would have been less they would have just been two weird guys out of time you know that they might have figured out they weren't in the right time they use the fact that the anomaly meaning that the that there's still like electrical disturbances around what well, at least one of the officers at the beginning they use that to create this kind of jeopardy that they were abnormal that they were stirring shit up and that meant that they they were forced to confront the fact that they're out of time much sooner than they would have ordinarily so i don't think that was a terrible device and i don't think they overused it either they could have just made the whole rest of the film about this fact that they're that could have been the whole plot yeah and and they didn't they tried to show you like what would it actually be like if they didn't go the sort of weird sci-fi supernatural route they take a high sci-fi concept and they say well, what would actually what would these naval officers actually react like what would actually happen if and, and what would a woman who meets these guys nancy allen's character what would she how would she react right so i think this is one of the problems that i have with the film them coming to terms with the fact that they're in 1984 feels very rushed and in fact, apparently in the script, there was a lot more of them acclimatizing and having yeah. the fish out of water stuff. And this director said, I want to jettison some of that and I want to focus more on the Nancy Allen character. Right. 
And I think basically there's there's other places that the story wants to go. So it rushes that stuff through. So the first half an hour, 40 minutes of the film is a little bit unsatisfactory for me in yeah. that sense. Like they they take it in their stride a little bit too much when they walk into that diner. Why weren't their minds blown by the video arcade machines and things like that? They right. barely even look at them. Even the cars. Right. It comes later when he sees the Porsche and it yeah. works. Yeah. But the problem is, is that when him and Jimmy or whatever his name is, the guy that he's there with first arrive there, they, they do take it a little bit too much yeah. in their stride. Once they get captured, because they take Nancy Allen and they get on her. Once they get captured, the film gets right back on track. Yeah. And actually it starts to pick up real pace and yeah. it becomes the snowball effect and it actually had the effect of i think this is completely unintentional by the way yeah but it's almost like it started off being a bit shit so that i ended up thinking it was better than it is by the time i get to the end yeah because i got really sucked into it yeah and uh, and i have Good. to say half an hour 45 minutes from the end i had that feeling that is really really exciting when you're watching a film like this which is I actually don't know where this is going. Yes. I don't know how this is going to end. It's good. We can talk in spoilers about where it ends yeah, and whether yeah. that's successful or not. But that in and of itself, I think, is a recommendation straight away if you're into sci-fi. I agree. Stick with it through that first slightly patchy half an hour and you will get something Whether you it. like the ending, there's no guarantee or not. But, yeah, yeah. But no. that's that's kind of the thing for me. This is the kind of movie I'm looking for that shows me something interesting I've not seen it before. Excuse me. You've seen this. You've seen this before. <laughs> if you've watched any kind of any sci-fi, you've seen this kind of thing before. But again, it's just it's, that, it's a Twilight Zone episode. It right? is this a Twilight is a, Zone. A long episode. Twilight Zone. That's right. And that's why I start agreeing with the B movie comparison much more. You could argue that it falls down in many many areas, and I think the pacing isn't great. I wouldn't want to try and fight the point. They achieve like what would happen if, but nor do they fail. So whilst I agree with you, like there's moments where you wouldn't react that way or you wouldn't. There's other moments where like, no, you, you would. And they get the tone right there. Uh, yeah. Like, for example, when he, because he, naturally he wants to find out what happened, what happened to his family and stuff like that. So he goes to investigate that as part of his being on the run or, or trying to do it. And it's really interesting the way that the military kind of find him as well. So he's on the run from them. It's You're not quite sure why or how or how do they know or how do they find out. It makes perfect sense because, yeah. of course, he's going to look up the only people that he might have a connection so to. So that makes sense, yeah. But and then and then so then even when he actually does that, and I was surprised that, that what I was surprised about, and that's what gave me the sense that like you don't know where it's going, was the film. The writers actually let him go do that, but I was expecting some kind of intervention that would not allow that to happen. But right. no, it plays out like he goes and he meets people and he actually did tries to deal with this thing and then it yeah. loops back around in the plot in the plot point that actually really works again I, the ending's not 100% for me yeah let's go more into that stuff in in spoilers because there are a couple of things in there that I really like but... I like the way it set itself up for its ending it was really good definitely there were a couple of points where I was really going I hope they do this move I hope they make that choice yeah and they do mm. and it's not a case of Oh, I knew that was going to happen. It no, was the opposite. Oh, they're actually going to do this. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. That's it. I wish more sci-fi did this. Right, right. That's it. And it, so in a way, it kind of maneuvers around cliche. 
you can have high concept sci-fi without making the film all about that thing. They take one thing and they say, this is the only thing that's happening here. Yeah. And the other thing I like is that these guys are not the super capable Joss Whedon types. They are just a couple of dumb lugs, you know, sucked out of the 40s. They don't have like special skill sets. Right. They're not scientists. They're not Jack Dawson on the Titanic, knowing what happens when you get sucked down with a massive ship, right? right? They are completely out of their element. And at no point do they show any kind of preternatural ability to cope with this situation. They just work through the logic of it. Yeah. And that's what works, yeah. The only time that that they use any sort of skill, let's say, from their life is when the old geezer pulls a gun on him. And as soon as his head's turned, the guy just grabs it. Because yeah. he's Michael Perry is a yeah. a capable looking physical dude. Right. Right. He's more physically imposing than the um, the old geezer. Right. Which leads me to another problem with the film. Right. It's okay. a small one. Okay. But go with me on this. They go on the run with Nancy Allen. Again, another another choice that the film makes that I really like is that it doesn't become a chase movie from that point. They actually get captured pretty quickly mm. because the electrical thing catches up with them and they go off the road, the police capture them. And then when they're in the police station, Nancy Allen sort of takes their side and she decides not to press charges. Yeah. So they're set free and they go to the hospital to see Jimmy. Which, again, That's fine. I thought that was quite natural. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. However, yeah. wouldn't the old geezer who had his gun nicked press charges? Good point. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's your plot hole. Yeah, well done. It's a minor quibble. Yeah, it's a well minor done. quibble. But it is, and but I think it's to the movie's credit. I don't like those kind of plot holes. And again, I think there's something about its pacing, about its it's not trying to be fancy or clever. I just think it's it's getting a lot right, this film, but it doesn't quite hit the mark. Yeah. It's not perfect at no. all. Now, I want to talk about some of the cast. Nancy Allen, I I love that's uh, Robocop. Lewis from Robocop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely adore her. Yeah, she's great. She is great. Uh, she's perfect for this role. Mm-hmm. Michael Pare, on the other hand, I mean, super good looking guy. I made the comparison to Val Kilmer in the sense that Michael Pare is a total matinee idol. He's got right. the floppy hair, the half lit eyes. He belongs in a leather jacket, smoking a cigarette, riding a motorbike. Okay, he's he's really going for that Jimmy Dean kind of thing, but he doesn't quite have the acting chops. No, I don't He's think he does. He's a bit of a drama school expressionist in that sense. But this is where the film has two secret weapons. I've mentioned in the past that there is a type of actor who makes you go, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. And they are sometimes referred to as the 27 percenters. Because if you put them in a film, your film is automatically 27% better. Right, okay. This film has two. Glenn Morshower the ginger guy who fixes up their car or puts oil in it or whatever. Yeah. He's been in like 24. He's been in Transformers. Yeah, yeah. He's a total, oh, that guy, guy. He is. And I didn't know who he was. He's that young because I know him as the older guy. Because he's still got hair in this movie. Yeah. He must be so young in this. But the big one, dude, Stephen Tobolowsky, Ned Ryerson, don't Ned even, the Head, don't Needle even. Nose Ned. Now, you said I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. you don't want to do a cruise <laughs> You said you don't want to do a cruiserverse. I'm so glad you picked him out. Like, he's not hard to notice because he's a guy that hasn't changed at all. He looks exactly the same, just a yeah. slightly older version. He never had hair. And it's the forgotten film of us, man. This is, <laughs> really? this is Ned Ryerson's start. 
You think that he, oh, because it's a time travel. Okay. You think that he didn't end up ground this. He was affected by it and ended up in Groundhog Day. He's the reason Groundhog Day starts. So he's key to actually what's going on with Bill Murray in in Groundhog Day. Is what you're saying? He's he's the guy who's resetting the day every day just to see if Bill Murray's going to give him a fucking hug. We can't we can't go down this rabbit hole, we, man. We, we just can't do it again. Dude, it's it's happening. Can't. If you like it or I'm, not, I'm ha- I'm happy to make these these connections as we go along. We can't create a full narrative. No, like no, 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 no full narrative. But the connections are undeniable. Okay. Maybe that's something that we can throw out to the fans. Give us your Forgotten Universe they theories. Won't. They probably won't. They won't. But there are connections between the Forgotten films. Here's my point, though. Yeah. If you have two 27%ers in your film, yeah. your film is already at a 54% Agreed. approval rating. Agreed. You've got such a small hill to climb. That's the reason. To be in really yeah. high figures here. So it's already a two and a half star movie is what I'm saying. So yeah, Glenn Moleshauer turns up in a scene where Michael Paré is is trying to find out if his parents are still alive. And he says earlier on that he'd be an old man by now. So they go to this um, auto repair shop and there's photos of him with his dad in the 40s in yeah. there. And he gets the backstory on his dad. Right. It's not... It's not like an amazing scene or anything. I, I think Michael Parry does well in that scene, and, and I like Nancy Allen in it as well. My general feeling about it there is that by the point he realizes his dad's gone, the film is good enough that you're with it. And that's the point where I realized, I don't know where this is going. Yeah, and also you would need Nancy Allen's character to get on board as well. It, otherwise, the film can't go further. You, you just were starting to lose... Like, what's her motivation for staying with this guy? Nobody fully believes him. Have you seen him? Yeah, well, that's her motivation then. Um, but still, she's not. Shouldn't necessarily feel safe with him. Like he has to beg her to stay at one point when he he loses it, and then. Right. But it's not until she actually sees, oh, that's you in that picture, and he hasn't aged a day, that she's fully on board. Oh yes, she buys into the story. That's what yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Absolutely. And yeah. at this stage, it, it, we're too way too far in now. Like, if they don't get her to buy into the story fully at some point, then the rest of the movie doesn't actually make much sense, and her character motivation's gone, all this sort of stuff. It's like now she's in. She needs to see this thing through. Now doesn't matter if she fancies him or not. She's got that extra motivation. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting that um, this film was executive produced by John Carpenter. That is who, interesting. At the time this was being made was doing Starman. And there's actually a very similar kind of story with Karen Allen and Jeff Bridges in Starman, where, although it's much more powerful, I think, in Starman, which is just a wonderful film. We can't compare. We're not comparing. No. But it's interesting that it has a a similar kind of structure to it. Um, In fact, John Carpenter is listed as one of the writers on this film, so maybe it's not that coincidental at all. No, it's not. But but, He's kind of cribbing from himself. but But there you go. I mean, that's the link. It's a really, really fair comparison when you say those things about John Carpenter that like, yeah, that's why the films feel so similar. Even the look. I had seen this when I was a kid. So my recommendation to you was on the basis that I remember liking it when I was a kid mm-hmm. for the a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned today, actually, is that at that age, it brought something kind of new to me that mm-hmm. fair enough may have existed in previous movies and media but i wasn't aware of them at the time i remembered almost nothing from this film right when i sat down to watch it and i was very very pleasantly surprised yeah i i have to say though in comparison to some of the other films that we've talked about like wolfen and hunger and 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 others uh ninth configuration 
this is a film that I would not watch on a big screen. I think it's much more suited to television. Yeah. And yeah. and I think actually apparently there's a bit of trivia about this that when it came out it had the shortest window from cinema to video release ever at that period, wow. which was something like six weeks. Wow. And we talked in the past how long it used to take movies yeah, to yeah. come to the video store. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that speaks to that. I think it, it has a much better feel on television. It, For sure. It, it, For it's sure. a lot more forgiving. No, it was very fair of you earlier when you said it's a, this is a Twilight Zone episode. Or a... But on that basis, I think it's a perfect Sunday afternoon movie. I think it's a, it's probably another three and a half starer for me. But yeah, I think if you're into this kind of movie, it's a, it's a recommendation. No, I mean, it, using your scoring for at least today's ep- today's episode... If Top Secret's a three and a half star, then I think this this should get a four. But I've given Top Secret a three, so I think it gets two and a half stars for me. Yeah, it, it's That's not solid, it's not solid great. It's solid. Yeah, it's not a bad. It's not like it's bad. It's not like uh, a triple A movie that fucks up. That I would give three and a half stars for pissing me off and fucking up and getting things wrong. Yeah. So let's just go into spoilers. Great. Beware, listener. Spoilers lie with The the right turn that it takes that I I wouldn't say I was anticipating, but I was really hoping for is after after he finds out that his dad is dead and they go to track down not Jimmy, but Jimmy's wife from 1943. And he just uses his face to convince her that it's him. Yeah. And that was great. And I thought, oh, you know, oh, good. dead was, or whatever. I was hoping you were going to say, I was w- wondering if you were about to say it wasn't great, that that doesn't work. I think it really no, works, no. that scene. He's just standing at the door, sincere. It works. Yeah. And he's saying, it's me. You know it's me. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what would happen. You would. There's no question. You would find it so hard to believe. But taking some time, you'd go. This has to be. This has to be. And what sells it is the bit that I wasn't expecting. That I was over the moon about is when you see that he is back. He went back, and he's there as an old man. Yeah, Jimmy. Yeah. He rides past. It was so elegantly done, and he looks like him. The age casting was brilliant. Yeah. No makeup. Nothing. An actual older dude that looks like that could be that guy. I love it when a film can pull that off. And all of these things in quick succession. Amazing. I'm, like, I'm so glad. I'm over the moon with this right now. Good. Because it nailed it on those crucial plot points. And whilst it, again, it fails a little bit later, I think it fails, that it could go really wrong. And it doesn't. It delivers. It says, this is the crux of the thing. This is what happens. And even it, Jim's reaction. I was really glad he, he didn't also then go, oh, man. It's you. Finally, I'm not crazy. They didn't do that. They just went, no, you can't You can't talk to him. I half expected him to go for a gun or something. Yeah. And what you subsequently find out in the, in you know, a few scenes time is there's a reason for him to react the way he does. Now, you can read into it as much yeah. as you like, but I like to think that he was so terrified at that moment of the gravity of... 40 years of being called insane. And also, if you're here now, the way I was here now, 40 years ago, I am absolutely terrified of what happens if I interact with you because it could prevent everything something happening yeah. right exactly. so much is going on in that guy's head yeah we're not actually sure he's gone back because no, he just 
disintegrates. We don't know. There isn't much that tells us that. We might suspect it until he goes in, until our lead goes and visits Pam, I think it is, right? Jim's wife. His buddy Jim has disappeared at this point. It's 20 minutes later, or at least half an hour later in the movie. And he goes back to visit his wife. He doesn't know if Jim's there. He would have no reason to think that he is, though. Right. Really? So neither do we as an audience. And that's another thing I like that movies get wrong sometimes. It's like, what do we want our audience to be thinking at this point? Nancy's on board, so we can be on board. We're very much, even though we're with the main character, there's a part she's of She's our surrogate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's our surrogate too, as well. And that's another angle that I'm glad the movie didn't do, which is trying to cast doubt on what the actual central premise is. Are they insane? Are they actually, it's just a dream? They didn't do any of that stuff either. They didn't try and make us feel uncomfortable or uneasy in that sense. And that way, it's really easy just to follow through what's the events of the movie. You could watch this film and say it wasn't ambitious enough. I'd take that point. But again, it didn't have, I don't think, the budget or the script to do anything more with that. It just looked like it was what it was and it didn't overreach. No, uh, the, the only place I think is is they didn't have the budget to do the effects in the way that they wanted. There's a there's a, a 2001-esque sequence going through the wormhole. Right. That's, That's where it fails. Very ropey. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it when I was a kid because it was fractals and all that sort of stuff. And that's what I was into. But it doesn't hold up. And, and it's kind of, it wasn't necessary either. Nope. I would have said drop that. The, the sequence going through the tunnel or wormhole, if you will, where you see the ship is fine. And that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an effect shot of him getting sucked into the, the tornado wormhole sky anus as well. That's rubbish. Uh, so it's just, it, it. but they're quibbles and, the ambition of the film is is absolutely not at fault. I think it told the story in the way that it. I don't want to say needed to be told, right? In in the appropriate manner, right. and I think any more there was just the right amount of sci-fi mumbo jumbo, and enough of the guys in the bunker, you know, the military stuff. There was just enough. If there'd been any more, it would have unbalanced mm. the film. Yeah, because then you're not with Michael Parry and Nancy Allen. And right. that's what you really care about. Yeah, How is this going to work point. out? Yeah. My yeah. biggest problem with the film is the very ending. Yeah, go on. Because there was a moment where they didn't say it explicitly. And I thought, it's so great that they haven't said it explicitly. Because what I thought that the guy in charge of it, or something street, Stone Street or something. Long Street. Long Street, right. He's explaining to him about the connection between 1943 and 1984. Yeah. And in order for it to be closed to save the planet, essentially, he needs to go back and destroy the generator. Yeah. Fine. With there being no record of him in the 40 years since, the logical conclusion that you come to is that he went back, he saved Jimmy, and he died stopping the experiment. Right. That's what I think. Yes. And it seems like there is a moment between Michael Parry and Nancy Allen where they acknowledge that and they accept it. There is. Don't vocalize it. It does seem like that. And I think that is the moment. Yeah. I was so, I was so into it. And the film then commits its only heinous crime is that for me, that is the ending that I wanted. It's the ending that the story deserved. And it's the ending that would have tipped this over into being. An even better film. And instead, there's that weak source of him jumping off the side of the ship and landing back in the desert in 1984. Yeah. That is the B-movie happy ending. And I wanted the Twilight Zone ending. Yeah. However, the last line makes it okay. What, what is it? 
the Navy owes me 40 years of back pay. Right. <laughs> right. That was a good line. Yeah. Say whatever you will about me. I don't like the ending story-wise. Feelings-wise, I'm kind of happy they got back together. It's fine, of course. You want them to be together. And that's what, unfortunately, that's why we see that ending so much. For the ending that you wanted to work, I think the film would have had to have been different tonally. I think that it was asking for the ending it gave us throughout. For me to be comfortable with the ending you described, rather than just wanting it because it's the better ending. I would have loved to have had him like freaking out, resisting, freaking out, doing everything he could not to go back. And then having that kind of like, it, it was too it's, neat. It was too for neat. For me, it, fit, it fits everything because he's a naval guy. He yeah. signed up in wartime, right? Fine. To put his life on the line, Fine. to save, you know, the greater good and all of that. It's in his character. He's that classic greatest generation guy. It would have been a really dramatic climax of him accepting that and knowing this was the direction his life went in. Yeah, but before the acceptance, I would have liked to have seen more struggle is all I'm trying to say. And Because this is a guy who's been running from the military the whole film. So if he's so like, if he's such a military man, why didn't he just go and talk to them? They did a fucking experiment on him and sent him through time. He's not happy with the military. He's, do you see what I'm no, saying? But that's, that's why he's trying to get to that guy, the guy who knows. the um, Right. So, I forgot but his name again. His like acceptance is just too quick. And I'm saying for the ending that you that you wanted, and I agree that plot-wise it would have been the better ending, I just would have needed a bit more for it to actually be that ending. Otherwise, it would have been a disappointment and a letdown just to have like Nancy Allen's character just, well, that's it, he's dead. But, uh, well, I agree and I don't because I, I think they had that moment where he can't say to her, it was, it was Michael Parry's best moment in the film, he can't say to her all the stuff that he's thinking and yeah. he just says, I've got to go. I mean, that's classic Steve Rogers at the end of the first Avengers stuff. I lost my best girl, you know, all of that stuff. That's fine. He doesn't have to. That I'm not saying that I need to see all of that. What I'm trying to say is to deliver on the ending, the, the sequence, we'll drop in a sequence at the end anyway. So to have it be the that ending, we need the same way, like throughout that they're keeping us on board. We need to get on board with that ending too. We need to go through that emotional thing of like, why well, I don't want to go back. I want to stay with Nancy. The audience wants that. And so to actually deliver on that ending that the audience goes, yeah, no, he, he had to. You could still have that ending without pissing your audience off is what I'm trying to say. I don't think it's a good ending just because, ah, look, you did the non-Hollywood thing. So that's a good ending. And there are some people that think that. Like, it's automatically good because you, do, you don't do no, the no, normal no, I'm ending. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But and I know you're not. I know you're not. It, it, it's similar to the, to the issue that we had at the end of The Hunger is there's a direction that the characters are going in and it changes direction at the last second yes. to give you the happy ending. I, I, I'm curious as to whether him resurfacing in the desert at the end was a final addition to the film Maybe. and whether it Maybe. did initially end some other way because yeah. it doesn't really make any sense like what he does. It doesn't make any sense. And that's my argument. It would have to then also make sense, more sense for him to die. There'd be more work on him you know, going back and dying. But also when that ending was building up, I thought, really? You're going to close off the time loop in that easy way? Just like he has to go back, he dies, everything reset back to normal. So there's something about the time thing. So while the relationship gets a fresh start in the ending that we have, there's something about it. Oh, you just reset the time loop pretty easily, didn't you? I'm not comfortable with a happy time ending. (laughs) No. Okay. And so it's like, Time loses out in this sense of like, 
a more sophisticated explanation of time would have been interesting. But again, but yeah, I mean, it's that's ropey stuff all the way through, really. Exactly. But it, but I I'm in a different position. I know more about space time and science, and so I don't I don't really care. But it's what gives it a, it's a three and a half stars for me. I got a question. Yeah. Whose rig is it? What do you mean? There's a guy in the script. I imagine he had one line. And he, he said to himself, well, that's fine. If they're only going to give me one line, I'm going to say that one line 20 damn times. That's my rig! That guy's <laughs> got my rig! That's my rig! That's my rig! But yes, that, at the end, that's that guy. He's the total... <laughs> Definitely. I have a question for you. You're not going to like my Paxton factor. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. But oh, you want to replace Michael Parry with Bill no, Paxton? No, no. All right. Nancy Allen? Nope. Okay. Glenn Morshaw. He would have been great, Bill Paxton, as that mechanic. Yeah. It would have fit where his career was at this time as well. Brilliant. Good. I got a better one. Go on. The transvestite in the prison. Ah, Glenn Glavin. <laughs> that was so random. Game over, man. It's game over. Same with the punks when they arrive Same at with the, the diner. Yeah. And I like, it goes from that from being that kind of very... Ronald Reagan-y view of oh look at these kids with their piercings and their tattoos and their spiky hair and oh, yeah. look at this yeah. look at the direction this country's going to when the guy gets out of the van he just goes hey what's up guys yeah like oh yes he's a totally normal nice human being who just likes to colour and spike his hair yeah 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 and it was the same with the transvestite and again it's, it was. it's a very yeah. minor note yeah but they were just Normal people who just like to dress a little and differently. And that is that is why the film is not, uh, you know, a two, because there's a there is effort in sort of saying something here with what it's got, and it's doing the best it can do with what it's got to work with, and that's why it gets the sort of the higher marks. This is a modern time, so there is some commentary on how values have changed over the years, and it was set at the time that it was shot in. It's going to try to deal with the things that they're trying to deal with at that moment, that, that what they were trying to deal with back in 1984. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we have a sort of similar liking of it, because I was worried you'd be like, this is dog shit. Um, mate, coming off of Wavelength... Yeah, no. Dude, what did we give Wavelength? Like, two? I gave it a two. I think you gave it one. Yeah. There are connections to two other time travel movies in the film as well. Yeah. Well, the Terminator came out in 1984 as well. Yeah. And there's a scene when they get in Nancy Allen's car where he asks the date and she says the date. And he goes, the year. Very similar to Carl Reese asking the cop. Yeah. And what year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then again, it just would be the next question. You ask anybody what the date is, nobody ever says the year. And so the next natural question is, what's the year? If you're a time traveler. It only stuck out to me because... These films would have come out very close to one another. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they have that same line in. But also, there's the... This is a low-hanging fruit, but there's a Ronald Reagan actor, president gag, which is in Back to the Future the following year as well. Who's president in 1985, future boy? Yeah. Yeah, Ronald Reagan, the actor. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's much better as well. Both films are much better movies uh, for many reasons than those, those similar lines are. Uh, better delivered that and you've got ned ryerson as well philadelphia experiment is a key text it turns out maybe so we're given given both films very similar scores but it seems like you're saying philadelphia experiment is your recommendation if you have to pick one yeah the two definitely if you want you want a half decent movie go for that 
I think I still got to go with Top Secret. It's just because really? I'm okay. more. I'm. It's it's funder to me. Fine. But there's nothing wrong with Philadelphia Experiment at all. Yeah. It's a it's a perfectly fine film. Okay. Well, they both they got the same marks from you today. So great, cool. Well, that's it for 1984. We'll be back with guess what, Alex? 1985. Then let me just check. Double check my maths. Now. It's 1985 minus one. Well, yep, your math checks out. Yeah, cool, that checks out. Cool. cool. We're going to be back with 1985. I have no idea what I'm going to pick for 1985. No, neither do I. So please write to us. Tell us at the usual places. Tell us where we're going wrong, what films we should have done, what films you want us to do. Uh, send us your spoiler klaxons because we, we might change it up if we don't like the one we've got so far. And Ben, I guess that that might be it. Is that it? Forget about it. <laughs>